We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by M-Prize Bank, your partner Impossible. Coming up, the latest episode of the KCSN Draft Show, getting Chiefs Kingdom ready for the 2023 NFL Draft. Hosted right here in Kansas City with the best analysis, interviews, and content you can find to stay up to date and in the know. With that said, let's begin the show. What's going on, Chiefs Kingdom? Welcome to this episode of KCSN Draft Show. I'm BJ Kissel. We're hanging out with ESPN's Matt Miller, just like we do every week. It's always a little different style when we talk with Matt. Uh, last week, I believe, was the best mock draft uh, that you could come up with for the Kansas City Chiefs. We've listened and watched some of the interviews that we did at the East-West Shrine Bowl. But now there are a couple of weeks out from the draft, Matt. I want to know, what's the latest buzz what's the latest rumors what's going on i'm excited to talk this show and thanks to our friends from miller light for for making this possible uh but matt what what's the latest top buzz headline here as we sit on thursday april 13th as we're recording this show can we talk to miller light and just brand this as the miller time segment can we do that i mean i feel like there's a natural crossover here like they can send some cans to my house <laughs> you can put a little logo on here and we'll call it even we'll call it good uh, so latest buzz, uh, also nice You can go with the tie in there, like, you know, with Miller light buzz. Uh, okay. I'm done being a marketing expert now. I think pretty good. one thing BJ, I mean, I people who don't know me, as long as you have I did work in marketing for five years. And when I, when I had to stick to football podcast, that was always like our running gag was we would come up with ideas while we were like sitting around drinking, doing a podcast and then like forget them and fail to capitalize on them. So uh miller light if you're listening i want throw me some free cases or something okay uh, back to football now i think right now i will say the biggest thing that i'm spending time on is and this is going to sound overly simplistic but it's who will be drafted first overall because when the trade happened when carolina traded up with chicago let's start there um so chicago has the first pick we come out of the combine and really at the combine our good friend Ryan Pohl starts telling everyone, hey, we will trade the pick. He does an interview with Peter King where he does. He says, hey, we're, we'll trade the pick. He does an interview with Albert Breer. We'll trade the pick. So they really did a good job of putting it out there. And I, I don't know if you've heard this um, or not. Originally, the plan was Houston would trade from pick number two to pick number one. So they would just flip places. And then the Bears would trade pick two to the Carolina Panthers at nine. So the Bears would still end up at nine, but Houston would have pick one. They could get Bryce Young. The Panthers would have pick two. 
conceivably to take CJ Stroud. The Texans balked at that, the asking price or whatever. I, I don't I don't know exactly what happened. Something happened. And it maybe it was Houston coming out of the combine and saying, you know what? We're actually good with whichever quarterback doesn't go first. So we don't feel like we need to give up the draft capital. That's very, very possible. But yeah. whatever reason it didn't happen, Carolina trades to Juan. And I think ever since that moment, there was so much speculation that it was for CJ Stroud. You know, Frank Reich's always had big quarterbacks. Uh, Josh McCown had made some comments when he was in the media before he had hired in Carolina about C.J. Stroud, about bigger quarterbacks. So there was a lot of dot connecting. Over the last four or five days, those dots have started to disconnect. And so right now it's really, you know, you're trying to figure out, and not because like you want to break the news and spoil the fun of that, the excitement of that first pick, because I'm still a draft nerd and I love the the excitement of what's going to happen at number one. And, and so you don't want to ruin that for people. But for those of us that work in the information business, I want my mock draft to be right. So you're spending a lot of time on, you know, what will Carolina do? And we know it will be a quarterback at one. And then there's a domino effect, BJ. If Bryce Young goes first to Carolina, do the Houston Texans like CJ Stroud enough to make him the number two pick? You would think, given the way their roster is right now, Davis Mills is you know, the starting quarterback right now, penciled in, you would think they have to go quarterback. But there is, I, I think, a fascinating domino effect this year that we haven't seen in a while. You know, we can go back to, you know, 2021, we knew quarterbacks were coming off the board, one, two, three. Last year, we knew it was going to be pass rushers galore. You know, and it was like, they were pretty predictable drafts. So I think the fun part of this year is the, you know, the speculation. You know, even 2020, 2019, you knew who the pick was going to be before we got there. I think you have to go back to 2018 when it was a day before the draft when all the Baker Mayfield will go first talk really started. So it's yeah. it's really interesting. And I know you want to know about the Chiefs. Yeah. We don't know who pick one is going to be right now. Pick 31 <laughs> is impossible to yeah. predict right now. We're going to get there. Uh, but the the top of the draft is always fascinating. And the, and the trickle down and how things start to shake out, especially with like the first five to seven picks, and I'll tell you this, but it, it sets the course of what the entire first round is is going to look like because guys can start falling, and then once guys start falling, do certain position groups start having pockets that change from where you originally predicted they might be? And that's one of the things that I think both we could agree on that Brett Veach and his staff have been so good at over the years are figuring out those pockets yeah. of where guys are going to go and those, those scouts that aren't just scouting the Chiefs roster, but they're scouting other rosters to try and you know prognosticate where guys are going to be going uh, in order to figure out who's going to be available to be able to spend their information or spend their time uh, gaining the right information for these people uh, and for these different players. So let's stay on quarterbacks. Let's stay at the top. We're going to get to the Chiefs here in a, in a few minutes. But I've seen mock drafts, and, and I know some of these mock drafts, people spend a lot of time and they they really care about, it. and some guys just yeah. throw names out there and they care about their big board right. uh, more than that. When it comes to the quarterbacks, I've seen guys like Will Levis go in the top four, top three. You see, it's been all over the place, and now people are just throwing different mock drafts. You don't know if they actually believe that or if they're just trying to be different right. to create, gain some social uh, engagement. But how do you see the top four quarterbacks kind of shaking out, and, and how many do you see going in the top five, top ten? Like, what do you, if you had to guess right now on your latest you know, stuff, make sure you go check out ESPN and read all of Matt's stuff, but I don't want to take it all here. But what, how do you kind of see the the top 10 shaking out as it relates to quarterbacks? It's hard. So we think they'll go 1-2, right? Bryce Young, CJ Stroud. That's the 
the latest as of Thursday morning at 8.51 a.m. That is the latest buzz is that it'll probably go one, two. Uh, it will at least go a quarterback will go two quarterbacks go in the top three. I feel very comfortable saying that because uh, if Houston doesn't take a quarterback, Arizona will trade out at three. Um, there's a possibility that four quarterbacks go in the top four because Carolina could take one, Houston could take one, Arizona could trade, and then Indianapolis could take one. So I, I think you look right now at Carolina and Indianapolis have to take quarterbacks. They, I mean, they really truly have backed themselves into corners. Carolina traded up. They've already signaled we will take the quarterback. So two will go in the top four. Uh, I'll tell you on Anthony Richardson, uh, I, the combine was like a rocket ship for him because of the interviews and the athletic testing and the workout. Uh, it was really, really good. I think it's it, the buzz has come back down a little bit, not close to where it was pre-combine when he was thought of like a late first round pick. Um, and I yeah. think for Will Levis, it's kind of gone the opposite direction. Uh, you know, he was being talked about. If you go back po- pre-combine, it, there was a legit debate between Levis and CJ Stroud who would be QB2 or for some people, QB1. I think now Levis's stock is cooled, you know, considerably because of the interviews. You know, you hear things like he's a really good guy, but he's, su- he's super tight. And that tightness in interview shows up on the field. And I think that's what people are worried about. So when you hear things like, Will Levis is dropping. It's not because he's a bad person. It's not because he's interviewing, you know, poorly necessarily. It's not, he's not saying the wrong things. Um, I talked to one team that interviewed him and they said he's like, he's actually trying too hard. They, they kept the analogy of it's like a puppy that just wants to get the treat. You know, they just want the praise and it, that helped me. And then someone like, you know, it kind of clicks and you're like, ah, okay. But, yeah. you know, you hear things like he's a perfectionist, he's kind of tightly wound, and and BJ, you've been around enough professional athletes to know that sometimes that's not a good thing. Sometimes you want the guys that are a little more loose, confident, you know, I remember interviewing Joe Burrow, and it was just like, he didn't, he had not a care in the world, but he was engaging, and he was funny, and like, it, it, it hit all the markers. You left the, the interview wanting to keep talking to him, and I, I think with Levis, you're just hearing from teams that... Eh, like I wish he was a little more laid back or I wish he didn't try so hard. Uh, and again, the try hard part, it does show up on tape where, you know, he got sacked a ton last year because he's waiting for things to open up and he's, uh, so you try to find the correlation there and it seems like there might be one, but I hope, uh, that Will Levis just gets a gigantic chip on his shoulder from this pre-draft process. And it's like, you know what? I am a perfectionist. I am a, a try hard and I'm going to work my ass off to prove my draft position wrong. And I think that's very possible for him. I, I do think he's wired that way. It might be like, okay, I see how it is. And then just goes on a, a rampage because someone doubted him. It, every time somebody talks about that exact thing, and I've, t- I've told this story, and I apologize to everybody listening if you've heard me tell this story before. Uh, but the time that I knew with Patrick Mahomes, not to make it about Patrick Mahomes, they're talking about the draft, but you talk about like being comfortable uh, and being loose. I remember that his rookie year when Alex Smith was starting, there there was a basketball game going on in the locker room. Those guys would play basketball a lot and they were playing knockout or they played some game where they, it's kind of like knockout three pointer um, thing where they run around shooting threes and whatever. And I just remember I can't remember who his teammate was. It may have been like Chris Jones. It was like Chris Jones and Colin Saunders and Justin Houston was playing in this. And it was down to like the last shot. It was like a baseline shot. And it was Justin Houston and Patrick Mahomes. And Justin shot and missed. 
And then it was Patrick's turn and they were like going fast, like trying to get all these shots off. And he was so cool, calm and collected. He shot it as the ball's in the air, just holds his hand up, just kind of like pimping it a little bit and drained it. And then just kind of like, he didn't get in Justin's face, but he kind of like let him have it a little bit. And I remember thinking like, so first round rookie who it's not right. playing it's never right played. Now. That's <laughs> Justin Houston. And it wasn't like right. disrespectful. It was just like, okay, like you see a little glimpse of put him in a competitive environment and he's comfortable yeah. with his ability. And granted, he's a very good basketball player. Um, but I'll always remember that. I've told that story before of like, this guy was confident in his ability, but has that fine line of being confident, not overly cocky. And his teammates gravitate towards that kind of vibe. And I think that's why like him and Travis Kelsey kind of have that. And I think it's probably why they get along while they're so, so close is they're very similar uh, in that way. But I want to ask specifically, I know you were, you talked about Anthony Richardson a little bit. Cause he seems like of the quarterbacks we've talked about in the top four in what Levis to some extent, but Richardson's been all over the place. And I bring it up because, uh, and I respect all the work that Kent Swanson, Matty Lane, and all the contributors to the KC draft guy do. They have Anthony Richardson as their number one player in this draft. And so I don't think wow. they're the only ones who have that, but they are higher on him than a lot of other people. Is his, in your opinion, is he very much the, I would say boomer bust. It's such a cliche to use, but you talk about if he's interviewing well and he's got all of the physical abilities, is it a coach just saying, you know what? I can get the most out of him. And he has, he checks the boxes that we need. Even if what we see on tape sometimes concerns us, what is, what is the reason I guess I'm asking you that you feel like there's such a disconnect with some people as far as his evaluation and what he might project at the NFL level. I think it, it goes back to the can, what can you fix? You know, what can be corrected? When I was coming up in scouting, there was this belief that you couldn't fix accuracy. You know, it was just, it was this innate skill. You either had it or you didn't. And it was, it was unfixable. Um, you know, you could change a lot. You could change mechanics. You could change, you know, like the launch point of the ball. You could almost change anything but accuracy. Then Josh Allen comes around and you see, I was going to say, who, yeah. Then Josh, Josh changed everything. I mean, we've talked before, Mahomes changed everything from a, you can't play in the air raid. You got to have like pocket mechanics. You can't throw off your back foot. All that. Patrick changed that completely. Yeah. Josh changed the, you can't f- fix accuracy because when you, I, and I remember, like I went to Iowa to scout Josh when he was at Wyoming playing the Hawkeyes. It was like the opener that 2000. 18 season and watching him throw and I had two guys with me who helped and one my brother Mello who used to do the podcast with me was like I've never seen someone that athletically gifted at the quarterback position the other guy uh, who was with us uh, was like I've never seen a more inaccurate quarterback he was like he's like he's I'm done with him you know he's just inaccurate and so I was like well like but we see accurate throws. So like, what if you could just do that all the time? You know, it's like the happy Gilmore thing. Of like, wait, I don't have to putt if I just get it. Like, I'm just going to do that every time. And so for Josh Allen, it was, okay, why are you inaccurate? Is it, it, it boiling that down? So what we find is, oh, it's all, it, it's tying his feet and his head out to his eyes. You know, it's lining things up. It's the anti-Patrick Mahomes where Patrick can be like looking over here, throwing over here and it's accurate. You know, for guys like, for everyone else in the world, and BJ, you were a pitcher, you know this. You gotta be lined up. And so I think yeah. for for Anthony Richardson, it's the same thing. Like, we gotta get you lined up and to make sure everything's going at the same speed. Sometimes his feet get ahead of his arm, or vice versa. So uh, but you know, you, there are times where you see it. You know, we saw it uh 
the Georgia game this past year, you, you see it, you know, and there, there are definitely times you're like, oh, damn, just, okay, do that every time and you're going to be great. So I think to go back to your original question is there are people who believe, hey, he's capable of fixing that. And when he does, he's going to be dangerous. I think there are other people who say, we don't have time to let him fix that. So we got to go a different direction. You know, if you are the Indianapolis Colts and you've just been throwing band-aids on, you know, a surgically repaired, repairable wound, you don't have time probably to wait on Anthony Richardson. I have like started pushing back on that a little bit because I think people forget Josh Allen played as a rookie (laughs) and they threw him out there. And obviously they had Brian Dable and they had Kenny Dorsey and they had, they had a group that could help him. But I think if you have a staff that can carry a guy and say, Hey, we're going to throw a little bit at you each week and we're going to build this thing because he's very intelligent. Um, and he's, you know, obviously incredibly athletic. So I think you can throw a lot at him. So, um, it's, it is fascinating. He could be the third pick or he could be the 18th pick. It's really hard to nail that down because, you know, and you said it yourself, it's boomer bust. I don't know that it's so much bust for him. Like, I don't think he's like Josh Rosen, you know, if, if it doesn't hit immediately, he's out of the league or anything. It's more like if he doesn't, it's boom or like average. Because the yeah. way the game's changing, like his running ability and his arm strength is going to keep him around for a while. Yeah, I, you know, from us knowing each other over the years, like I would always take the quarterback who is accurate over anything else. And yep. I didn't like Josh Allen for the same reason. I'll admit it now because I had said same thing you did. No quarterbacks get more accurate by the time they get to the NFL. The windows become smaller. The game becomes faster. The DBs are more athletic. The schemes are more, uh, you know, multiple and what they do and how they disguise things. And I can't get a handful of throws, even right now, as you brought it up. I th- I hear Josh Allen and accuracy. I think of the senior bowl, watching him throw routes on air and throwing post routes into the second like row of yep. the stands. He did that like three times with no, def- like I think a couple of them were one-on-ones and one of them, there was no defense out there. He just ran like a 15 yard post. He threw it like yep. 15 feet over his head. I'm like, there's no way he's a great athlete, big yep. arm, all of those things. But, you can't, there's nothing you can like right. the accuracy. So right. Completely wrong. You figured it out, but I wanted, I'm not pushing back on the the platform and getting their feet right, but I'll never forget. And I think it was Eli Manning who actually said this, that he would believe like during pro days or, you know, when these, these coaches come and see these players, these, these workouts are so scripted that they have these nice pockets. They step into everything that to get a more accurate depiction on how accurate a quarterback is, have them throw off platform all the time and see if he can make those throws because so many and granted Patrick Mahomes is a unicorn. We understand this, but you watch Aaron Rodgers, you watch Josh Allen or even Joe Burrow. He gets rid of the ball so quickly, but a lot of times these guys aren't able to step into their throw or they're, they're sliding a little bit. Now we see the extreme examples with Patrick Mahomes sprinting to his left, throwing back across his right. But even inside of that, like it's one thing for a quarterback to step in and have a clean pocket and throw an accurate pass. It's another thing for their guys to be around and then have to slide one way, not step forward and kind of have both feet parallel as he throws uh, and still throw an accurate pass. So um, it, it'll it be interesting, and I, I wanted to ask you about that because of Anthony Richardson, but uh, we've got a lot more to get to, and we are going to get this. We're going to talk to you about what you think the Chiefs are going to do, and I'm going to spend about 10 minutes talking to you about Deuce Vaughn because I got into <laughs> a Twittered, a Twittered uh, conversation about Don't do that. You think Anthony Richardson is polarizing within the the relevant discussion of first round? Bring up Deuce yeah. Vaughn on social media, and some people think he's going to get drafted 
early day three, and some people think he's never going to make it in the league. And I want to get your opinion on that. And we will that and talk Chiefs right after this. You're listening to KC Sports Network. We'll be right back after this. Kansas City, the NFL draft is almost here. It's a fantastic time for our city. Make sure you're staying locked into us here at KC Sports Network because we've got the draft covered. Chiefs have 10 picks. We'll see how many they actually use, but there's one selection that every football fan can share, and that's an ice-cold Miller Lite. The players change, the coaches change, the rules change, but Miller Lite is still the perfect beer for draft time, game time, and everything in between. Personally, when I want a beer with some flavor, but it's also light and won't make me feel bad, Miller Lite has been a go-to. It's light on calories, not taste. What's the point of drinking beer if you can't taste it? Till kickoff comes around again, enjoy the beer that tastes like the season. Miller Lite, great taste, 96 calories. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash KCSN. Or you can pick up some Miller Lite pretty much anywhere they sell beer. It's Miller time. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Entertain, educate, inform. KC Sports Network. All right, welcome back to the KCSN Draft Show. BJ Kissel hanging out with ESPN's Matt Miller. We just spent the first segment talking quarterbacks in the top 10 and any surprises within the quarterback realm, uh, quarterback space that we may see uh, and how that top 10 may shake out. And Matt, before we talk about the Chiefs, I do want to get uh, your thoughts on this because you mentioned earlier our good friend uh, Peter King had come out. I think this happens every year where some national media comes out and they talk with some GMs, they talk with some scouts who are kind of consuming all of the mock drafts and all the media stuff that's put out there. And they say something to the effect of there are going to be some surprises because there are some, our board is completely different than what we're seeing. Uh, I know it is yep. your job to make sure that you are not off in the way that Peter is reporting that <laughs> they're saying that some media people are. But is there anything that you 
kind of disagree with the masses on as it relates to your board or a couple of players that are either projected much higher than you think they're going to go or vice versa? Yeah, I think so. I'll start with wide receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba. I have him as my number five overall player. And when I look at mock drafts, you really start to see him come off the board around pick 12 for some people. I've seen mock drafts where he comes off the board in the 20s and I don't I don't get it. And even like, you know, I do a ton of stuff with the, the guys at ESPN, Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay, and, and they disagree with me on it. You know, they have him, they have him in the teens. And I'm like, what am, I, what am I missing? This guy is a great route runner, 6'1", 200 pounds. He has legendary short shuttle three-cone times, and he never drops the ball. So it, it is, it's, it kind of makes you like question yourself a little bit of like, wait, what are they seeing that I'm not? Or what am I not seeing that, that you know, it's the, the weird vice versa. But I'm a Did you remind you yeah, same guy. And then you remind yourself that you're pretty good at pro- like uh, projecting. I feel like Ohio State wide receiver, spot, yeah. wide receiver, especially from Ohio State, you've been pretty good at over the years. Yeah, stuff. Oh, I do like. And so I'll say, like, a lot of our job is watching tape. It, it, you know, I mean, you've we've hung out. You know how much that is my job. But it's also, and I think the further along you get in this career, you you make new connections, you make more connections, and your job becomes about also collecting information. And sometimes you're able to report that information. Sometimes you use it as background for your own own thoughts. Uh, but I, I'm comfortable saying this. Uh, Brian Hartline, who is the best wide receiver coach in the world, uh, now he's the offensive coordinator at Ohio State, but he's been the wide receiver coach there for a minute, and they, they're they good at that position. I, he has told me, hey, JSN is better. He was better than Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave when they were here together. And he has gone as far as to say, as, oh. I mean, you could throw Scary Terry in there. Like, pick an Ohio State wide receiver in the last 10 years. He's putting JSN above those guys. Now, that doesn't include Marvin Harrison. Jr. I was going to say, that, that, that will change. Marvin Harrison is the same thing. <laughs> right. But, you know, I mean, so I also, like, so I trust my eyes. But then I talk to people like Coach Hartline, who has nothing to gain by saying he's the best, you know? Sometimes like Urban Meyer was notorious for doing that. He'd be like, this is the best tight end I've ever evaluated. But he would, he, or coached, and he'd say it every year. So it's like, okay, cool. But when somebody says like, no, I'm willing to put like this guy above those two receivers, one which is the offensive rookie of the year, the other, you know, could have been. That that helps, you know, you, I think it backs up your belief a little bit. So JSN is the one where I am much higher on him than I, I guess everyone else. Um, the guy I'm lower on, that is a good question. I mean, I don't think Will Levis should be a top 10 pick. And I, I we talked about it in this episode. I like Will, and I hope he does well. But to me, the tape doesn't say top five pick or top 10 pick. I understand the nature of the position. Guys are going to float up the board a little bit. Um, that's probably the biggest one, you know, that I see where I'm like, gosh, this is, this is going to be a hard one to, to kind of explain on Thankfully, I, I don't have to explain it. Draft night when he gets picked, I'm not, I'm not up yet. So it's like I'll, I'll, I'll let those guys handle that one. And you mentioned something there that I think is really important. It's an important distinction. Uh, and I talked about this with Kent, Matt, and Craig it, it, regarding like their content uh, quite a bit. Is are you putting together content based on what you think is going to happen? And what you're hearing or what you would do if you were a GM, like a pure, like I'm an evaluator. This is how I see these guys shaking out. And when you get information that differs from your own evaluation, I know for you, you go back and do the work and say, okay, what did I miss here? You go back and rewatch them. It's okay for people's opinions to change based on information they're getting. You go back, you see something differently. You find out background. Yeah. You see a, a, 
it's you see a few games where a player really struggles, and those are the games that you focus on. Those games you evaluate, you go back and talk to an area scout or a GM who has the information, who shares, hey, he was banged up during that stretch and was playing through some stuff. And so, yeah, he's going to look slower. He's going to look not as explosive because he was at 75% or whatever the reason. There are things like there were things really going on in their lives that could affect their play. So a lot of that stuff that the outside world doesn't know. When you're putting together like your board, how much of a balance is it between what you're hearing and what you're projecting will happen and what you would do if you were in charge of these 32 NFL franchises? So I never uh, anymore... I don't do the, here's what I would do, unless it is like explicitly assigned to me by an editor. And we very, very clearly lay that out. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. here's the, uh, what I would do mock draft. So that, those really, I don't really do those anymore uh, because it gets confusing for people. <laughs> so I will say my big board, my rankings was I, I put those out um, yesterday, Wednesday. So you can go ESPN.com or look on my social media. It's tagged. Um, for 370 players or something like that that is based on my evaluation with information from scouts on hey like here's you know an injury that you didn't know about or an off-field thing you didn't know about but a mock draft is all information which is why like you know i have to turn in my final mock draft one week from today so it will be a week old when the draft happens and that is like terrifying that is your worst nightmare because (laughs) information changes so fast you know that you would love to be able to to put one out the morning of but it's it's not really practical in a digital age to do that so mon draft is 97 percent what you're hearing and then a big board is 100 percent. you know this is how i evaluate these guys which is why you'll see the discrepancies you know of like Bijan robinson is my number three overall player he will not be drafted at number three you know so it's that's kind of, I think, a big board is your way to put your stamp on players that you like, you know, and and obviously we're not drafting for schemes or specific team fit. It's, hey, if I just had to line these guys up, you know, one to 400, who are the best players in the class, this is how you would do it. All right, let's 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 pivot here to the Chiefs. Uh, we're 27 minutes in and this is a Chiefs channel. We want to know about the Chiefs as well. Uh, we've been talking about the draft and Chiefs for the last few weeks, so trying to mix it up at the beginning of the show here, what's going on across the league, but Let's focus on the Chiefs now. And I think the consensus, at least from the media, you know, those of us on the outside, uh, is the Chiefs are going to go in one of probably three areas with their first three picks, or especially with that first pick, whether it's offensive tackle, whether it's wide receiver, or edge rusher, defensive end, depending upon who falls. A, do you agree with that kind of consensus based on what you're hearing or what you think about this draft? And of those three positions... Which one do you think the best case scenario would be for the Chiefs with pockets of guys falling? Uh, yeah. Based on just kind of how guys are going to shake out. Because if you're going to use the first three picks on those, you want to kind of guess, okay, where are the pockets of players that we like at these positions? And that could kind of dictate what you do with the first round because you're more comfortable with wide receivers in the second or tackles in the second or edge rushers, whatever yeah. it is. How do you kind of see in those three positions play out as it relates to the Chiefs with the 30, 31, number 31 overall pick? Yeah, it, like you said, it makes it hard when you're you're looking at 31. I will say this. I feel confident the receivers are going to be later first-round picks than early first-round picks. So I think, you know, last year, if we had talked about this, we would have said, hey, if you want a starting quarter, you're probably going to have to go up a little bit. They did. Um, and they were able to kind of, you know, predict the Karloff this slide a little bit. So 
they got one in the that, seventh round too for big fair. Jalen Watson in the right. seventh was was exactly right. Come on. Uh, so this, I but. I would look at it like sitting here right now, having a decent idea of like at least what position teams will go after. I think at thirty one, you've got a very good chance to get a wide receiver, um, decent chance to get a pass rusher. I think it gets harder because of with pass rusher, there are so many small guys this year, and that is just not something that Steve Spagnola has used. You know, he, these sub two forty pass rushers just. And maybe he changes things, but this is is not what they've done. You know, Carl Loftus was considered small for them last year when they drafted him. So uh, I have a hard time with that. You know, whether it's Will McDonald or BJ Ojolari, it's hard for me to look at those guys and say, hey, you fit the Chiefs. So I, I think wide receiver, maybe pass rusher. Uh, your guy King Felix, I, I think, is closer to a body type fit. Keon mm-hmm. White is closer to a body type fit. If you, if you, they've, both should be there. I feel like that's a comfortable range for them. Right tackle is really interesting, BJ, because Darnell Wright from Tennessee will not be there at 31. Like, if that's what you're holding out hope for, it's just not going to happen. He might not make it out of the top 13 picks. Um, there's a drop-off at tackle after him. Left or right tackle. Uh, I think you start to get into the range of you know, you're looking at guys like uh, Dewan Jones from Ohio State. And, you know, the reviews on him from the interview cycle have not been positive. So, um, you know, he, he's a monster. He's six foot eight, you know, 370 pounds. You know, you, it's like you know, there's no one else built like that other than the left tackle you guys just let walk. So, um, you know, it's it gets a little bit harder to find a right tackle, a true right tackle where you're not making a projection of, okay, can we move this guy over? I mean, there are players, you know, there's, um, you could Cody Mouse from North Dakota State. Like, yeah, he could play right tackle. Absolutely. But it's going to be a transition. Um, you could look at Matthew Bergeron from Syracuse, who's a great run blocker. Like, oh, yeah, he could he play right tackle, but it's going to be a bit of an adjustment. So I would say if it were my, I guess, like dream Chiefs draft, I would say, you know, wide receiver at 31, like Quentin Johnston would be, would be my guy. I think you go round two pass rusher. Um, and I, I'll be honest, I haven't, I don't have the Chiefs pick numbers pulled up in front of me, but I think you can find a 63. And and that's, okay. and just to give you, so when I did the the mock draft, and I learned a lot of these players as I did, uh, like we did with you two weeks ago, the best case scenario mock draft for the Chiefs. And we got to the second round, and I did last week with Trevor Sikama, our buddy from Pro Football Focus. And yeah. you know, speaking of the, the kid from Louisville, uh, Diaby, who I wasn't yeah, familiar yeah, with, uh, Diaby. Derek Hall, KJ Henry from Clemson, King Felix, if he can drop a little bit. Um, there's yeah. so many key feels a perfect example of, you know, one of the 55 players that are projected in the first round that somebody's right to exactly. fall into the second yeah. round. So it seems like at least again, this is from the media consensus that if you're looking for an edge rusher, that there could be that's number 63 pick, maybe a sweet spot for a guy again, Derek Hall, Diaby. King Felix, like a lot of those kinds of guys. Eric Hall was who I was going to say, actually. That's a good one. That fit, that fit well with A, yep. with what Spagnuolo likes. I know when we went before, and I think it was more value, you had projected Will McDonald to the Chiefs. A little bit older, a little bit white, more wiry than they're used to, but at some point you just yep. take the talent. It's like Nolan Smith. He's not going to be there, but he might not fit. He might not be prototypical, Maybe but very, sometimes right. you, yeah. somebody, it's, at that point you just you figure it out. And Steve Spagnuolo is creative enough that might not fit the mold, but you find a way to utilize a talent like that. And luckily, the Chiefs are in a position with the Omenahu signing and some of the other guys they have on that roster and some veteran free agents that didn't sign before the draft. A, because of the 
They don't want to sign for more than $2 million and affect the compensatory pick formula. And some of those guys just don't want to go to phase one. They don't want to go work out. They don't want to do OTAs and all these things. So they're going to wait. And so we could see some veteran signings after the draft uh, that that kind of solidify some of these other positions. Some of that stuff may be already set. They say, hey, we'll sign you after the draft. We'll see how it shakes out. Um, But I want to ask you about tackles specifically. Um, how many tackles do you have going in the first round? Because you mentioned Dewan Jones, so Darnell Wright won't be there. Anton Harrison has been a popular name uh, that Chiefs yeah. fans have been talking about. Uh, Broderick Jones, another name that Chiefs fans have been talking about. Where do you project, how many do you project to go in the first round? And knowing the Chiefs have 10 picks, they don't have 10 spots on their roster. I'd be shocked if they walked away with more than seven players. Like seven and a half to me is kind of the, how many yeah. players do you think the Chiefs walk away with this draft? If I had set an over-under, I'd set it at seven and a half. Tackle would make sense if you get up into the early, mid-20s to move up and get a guy. But again, how many do you project going? And who do you see that kind of early 20s mark being if the Chiefs were going to trade up? What's that pocket for a tackle to go right there? Yeah, I have four as projected right now. And I, again, I haven't run all the way through this mock draft that's doing a week, so it could be five. I, I think it's it's likely, you know, that a fifth will float up four and a half. But I know what the, the over under is four and a half would be probably right where I would put it. Um, so Pierce Gronsky comes off, Roderick Jones. I don't think Broderick makes it to 31. I've seen, uh, I get, you know, tweets from like Cowboys fans too, who are like, hey, will Broderick Jones make it to 26? Probably not, guys. Uh, this probably tape not is fun. His tape is still for an offensive lineman. It's so fun to watch. Man, he just puts dudes in the ground. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's fun. Uh, Paris Johnson, Ohio State, he's going to be gone. Uh, Darnell Wright, Tennessee, he will be gone. So I think you're looking at, and you guys aren't unique here. There are a lot of teams, in, even in the 20s, where it's like, hey, they offensive line's an area of need for those teams. So you mentioned Anton Harrison, Oklahoma. He could get pulled up a little bit. Um, after that, for me, there's a drop-off. I'm not the biggest Dewan Jones fan. I know some folks are because of his size. Um, I, I also look Matthew Berger on Syracuse. I like him a lot. Um, kind of the sleeper of that group is Wanya Morris from Oklahoma. He was a right tackle who played both sides, very athletic in the run game. Uh, someone who uh, probably like a late two, early three type pick, but uh, that's more due to, to, I think, the injury than talent. Uh, Blake Freeland from BYU, I know it's a popular Chiefs name because of the the BYU connections uh, that are there in the organization. And he's very, very athletic as well. So there, like I would say eight to nine tackles in the first two rounds is pretty realistic. I know. Yeah. I, if I was a betting person and I am, uh, I would take uh, offensive (laughs) uh, chiefs at some point where they move up for him or not. And I think the, the sub storyline for tackle is, is going to be interesting. And I know it's going to be the question, the narrative, they take a tackle in the first round, especially one that played, left tackle in college that you're taking a left tackle, say four year starter at left tackle, and you're going to put him at right tackle. And then you're going to take a guy who's played right tackle with the last four years and put him at left tackle. It's like, wouldn't it ideally yeah. work out? I know the contract that the Juwan Taylor signed and I know what they've said, but from a coaching friend and not that Andy heck can't switch those guys, but then you have two guys learning new positions, right. protecting the edges for Patrick Mahomes. And we saw those guys for as well as Andrew Wiley played, especially when it mattered late in the season throughout the regular season there were a lot of pressures that were given up and most of those pressures weren't the interior guys that were coming off the edge and right. that's a lot more work put on Andy Heck and the Chiefs offensive staff uh, to get two tackles comfortable at positions they haven't played for the last four years so if it were me I would rather put them where they're comfortable especially where John Juan Taylor has proven to be right. one of the best players 
if you can get a left tackle you, that you're comfortable with. If you even if you're paying Taylor, what is it? Is it twenty five? Is that I don't even it's know. Twenty a year. He's like oh, sixty million guaranteed. Twenty a year. You get sixty million dollars. Okay. Yeah. If you're paying him twenty to play right tackle, but you're paying your left tackle rookie money, it all evens out. It's like how much yeah. money do we have for offensive tackles? Okay, it'll even out. It's still, still probably less than they offered Orlando Brown Jr. and he said no to. Let's just say yeah. that. if if Juwan Taylor goes and plays well at right tackle at twenty million a year, and they win a couple of Super Bowls during his time, his value is not going to be any lower becoming another a free agent again in three years in a prime in his prime uh to get paid again uh, i know that kind of thoughts have been out there we got paid to be a left tackle but yeah he already got paid he signed the contract he's getting that money right now go win some super bowls and you know improve your stock even more by protecting the, the greatest quarterback we've ever seen and uh speaking of the greatest quarterback we've ever seen i'm excited about the potential for a third down back like deuce Vaughn to be somebody he throws the plateau <laughs> it's become like a Kenny McIntosh, Deuce Vaughn, the Chiefs need a third down back. Jarek McKinnon yeah. is still a free agent, hasn't re-signed. Maybe they have a plan for him to sign after the draft. But if not, the Chiefs need a third down back. And we are going to talk with Matt about Deuce Vaughn and the Chiefs third down back situation right after this break. A sports network for today's fan. KC Sports Network. Podcasts, YouTube, social media, live shows. KCSN. What's up, Chiefs Kingdom? This is BJ Kissel, founder and CEO of KC Sports Network. With Kansas City on full display for the NFL Draft, what better way to celebrate our hometown than by supporting a charity that helps kids with special needs in our own backyard? Children's Center for the Visually Impaired will host the CCVI Trolley Run Sunday, April 30th to change the lives of students who are blind or have low vision. Now in its 35th year, The CCVI Trolley Run is a four-mile race that finishes on the Country Club Plaza the Sunday after the NFL Draft. This fundraiser is open to everyone and no athletic ability is required. Enjoy free beer after the race and snacks from local restaurants. We promise the KC community will be on full display. Visit trolleyrun.org and use code KCSN to get a few extra bucks off your registration. That's trolleyrun.org. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Grainger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Grainger. For the ones who get it done. Entertain, educate, inform. KC Sports Network. Uh, welcome back to the KCSN Draft Show. BJ Kissel hanging out with Matt Miller. We've talked tackles. We've talked top 10 in general with the quarterbacks and what that could mean for the rest of the draft. And now, Matt, because I had the conversation uh, on social media and I brought up that the, the the ceiling that I would feel comfortable taking Deuce Vaughn for the Chiefs is, one, is fourth round 122. And that set off a storm of people being... Like, absolutely, most of those were K-State fans. And everybody being like, this guy's not draftable. He is way too small. Uh, And so I want to get your thoughts on this, but the context of this is the Chiefs don't have a third down back right now. Um, I I think that's the the sweet spot for Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who I would expect to stay on this team um, this year. He's in the last year of his contract. He only saved a few hundred thousand dollars by cutting him. Uh, And you carry, I think it's like 900,000 in dead cap. Uh, by keeping him. So from a financial standpoint, you have a motivated player. Uh, it makes sense to keep him for that reason and kind of be the backup to Isaiah Pacheco. 
Well, Chiefs need a third down back. Jarek McKinnon's still a free agent. No, he's tweeted out his frustrations about not having signed yet. So you go into this draft looking for a third down back. Can you look at the way in which Jarek McKinnon was used, catching the ball out of the backfield, making explosive plays in the passing game, and providing a little spark uh, when needed and been a great player for the Chiefs. Now, Jarek McKinnon, even at his size, is still 25, maybe 15, 20 pounds heavier uh, than Deuce Vaughn. But first, evaluation of Deuce Vaughn as a player, and then we'll talk fit and third down backs and how important things like pass pass protection are in the grand scheme of drafting a player for that specific position. And I understand this would be a luxury pick. I understand it's not a perfect fit, but I watched the dude enough to know there's not a more explosive player in the open field that could catch a ball and make something happen in that position than Deuce Vaughn. I yeah, I think we'll start with Deuce. Um, obviously, you know, the production and durability are the first things to jump out. You know, to be a four-year player, productive. Um, secondly is that he's five foot five, 180 pounds. So you're kind of wrestling immediately with, God, this production is fantastic. As a runner and a receiver, this production is fantastic. Ah, it's five foot five. You know, so it's like it's this yep. yin and yang a little bit with evaluating him. Uh, he is draftable and he is capable of carving out a really nice role for himself in the NFL as a runner, receiver, returner. That's that's his niche. And I think it, sometimes we get so short-sighted and we like have to reprogram ourselves when we think of running backs. We still think, oh, a guy's 20 carries a game, 25 carries a game. That isn't real anymore. That doesn't exist outside of Derrick Henry, really. So it's more about, if we're going to give this guy 12 to 15 carries, that's our lead back. We're going to give this guy seven to eight touches that's the second and then we probably got you know five five touches for this other guy that's what you're talking about is yeah can you come in and be the five touch guy can you be the spark guy and so i i always look at it from a perspective of ask a player to do what they're good at and then teach them to do the things they're not so when you talk about deuce vaughn okay five five 180 pounds well he's not your goal line back right it's like okay don't ask him to do that he's not going to run in between the tackles cool don't ask him to do it uh, what is he good at? Operating in space, catching the ball. He's lined up in the slot. Okay, well, let's look at this offense specifically. Is there a precedent for that? Yes, we just saw last year. Jerick McKinnon was arguably the second best receiver on the team behind Travis Kelsey. So, yeah, there's a precedent here. And so that's that's the way that I evaluate players, BJ, is what are they good at? Okay, what are they not good at? And are those things correctable? Like we talked about with Anthony Richardson. Okay. Deuce is small. We can't change that, right? So throw that part out. But the things that he's really good at, do they fit your football team? And for Kansas City, they do fit that football team. And it might be, there might be five teams in the NFL that he's a fit on because of scheme use and what they would ask him to do and and that it's in the playbook. But he fits that. And so like fourth round is is rich for me. I think you could get him later. It's not to say he's not valuable and that he's not a good player. Maybe... His talent is fourth round, but his size is fifth round. So, okay, well, let's just get this really good player in the fifth round instead. But I think, I mean, I would love to see him in an offense where, hey, let's find a way to get this guy five touches. Hell, they did it for Meat Cole. You know, like, hey, we're going to force feed this guy the ball and see what happens. I I think you can do it at at the same level here. After I put it out and I was going back and forth with people, and I, I agreed that if they take him in the fourth, that's the highest point at which I'd be like, okay, because of the usage and because I know how important I know how important Jarek McKinnon was. And just putting in this context, if you could draft the next Jarek McKinnon to make the same kind of impact, where what value would you put him in this draft? To me, fourth round. I would take a third down back in Andy Reid's offense in the fourth round. 
after I was going back and forth with people, I called Kent Swanson. I'm telling you this. I called him. I talked for like 20 minutes on the phone. I was in Manhattan walking around a trail and I was like, am I off here? Like, what, what am I missing? What do you, what do you, what are your thoughts? And he's not as high. He said, you know, fifth, sixth round. He's not as high on Deuce, Deuce Vaughn as obviously I am, um, but understood where I was coming from. And the one argument or kind of point that he brought up that I said, you know what? That's a phenomenal point is if your third down back can't be a gunner or play other special teams, is the yeah. there for a player that maybe it's maybe it's 10 to 12, maybe 10 to 15 snaps a game for that player on offense. And that's the only value you're getting out of him when, you know, yep. on game days, your third running back or your backup running back, they have to play special teams or the rest of the roster has got to be really strong. So would Dave Tobe, is there a use for him anywhere outside of that very specific yeah. <laughs> argument? I'm like, you know what? That I understand from an offensive standpoint, you can't convince me that that guy wouldn't be an absolute threat and a nightmare for defenses to have to account for in an Andy Reid offense. He's more explosive. People were comparing him to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire coming out. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, no, no. we have not, I was high on Clyde coming out, uh, yeah. especially his ability to catch the ball to the backfield because of his lateral agility, the screen game with the Chiefs. We haven't seen that for three years. Yeah, it disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> thought this would be a bigger part of it. Is it the injury? Is it the explosion? But one thing that I said with Clyde, and I will say this about Kenny McIntosh, and I want to get your thoughts on other guys in this draft. Kenny Mack's a phenomenal player, huge production. It bothers me that every time I would watch him, and I was watching melts and highlights of him, the last guy always tackled him. You know, yep. He was from behind. That Making that last safety miss was something. You watch Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in college. Huge production on the greatest offenses we've seen in college football. He was getting caught behind. He didn't have that breakaway right. for touchdown speed. Deuce Vaughn was not caught from behind. That last guy did not tackle him. And yeah. That's what bothers like Kenny McIntosh come in and be a great player, um, find a specific role for him. I like him as a player, but it bothered me and I kept watching all these highlights that he'd have a 20 yard run and then he couldn't make the last safety miss. And it happened like a dozen times. It wasn't a couple. It happened a lot. Um, knowing that four, six, two shows up, this guy. you know? Oh yeah. Well, Deuce Vaughn <laughs> not caught from behind. So if it's not Deuce Vaughn, I'd take my K-State bias ass off and just say, you know what? Somebody else. Who's a good guy in this draft that's not Kenny McIntosh, not Deuce Vaughn, that could be taken on Saturday to fit that very specific niche role for the Chiefs and maybe provide more on special teams than my guy 22 from K-State? Man, I'm going to be honest. I don't know if there is anyone that's very specific to Kansas City. There, are, there will be running backs drafted on day three who are good players. Absolutely. But I think specific to this role that you're talking about, I don't. I don't know if there is anyone and, and maybe it's just because I haven't like slept in a week. And so their name's not coming to the, the forefront. Uh, There's an East Carolina kid that people have been talking about. And then the, the big popular one is McIntosh. Um, he's the one that, yeah, that a lot of people bring up and it's a lot of football fans. know him. he played at Georgia, uh, put up huge production on a team. That's always been good. Always playing in championship games. So yeah. And especially because you said day three. So, okay. I, I haven't had coffee today yet in, in his draft two weeks for the draft. So uh Devin A. Chain from AM, he'll be gone. I would think. I think I would think he would he's the dream fit. Like that's that's who you'll want to be there. But he's probably gonna be gone. Uh Ty J. Spears from Tulane. Other than Deuce. Uh Ty J. Spears from Tulane, I think is a fit. He's probably gonna go early fourth. Um Tank Bigsby from Tulane or Tank Bigsby from Auburn. Similar, like probably fourth round. 
Um, the one if Zach Evans, that's who I would ask. Watch Zach Evans, some that- TCU. Watch some of the Ole Miss. He was the number one running back in the country, and they recru- ahead of Bijan Robinson in the recruiting class. There was like some drama about where he was going to go. He ends up at TCU. Is really good for two years. Goes to Ole Miss. Actually got lost in the shuffle at Ole Miss. The talent is absolutely there. So I would say he's a fit. Uh, if you want pure speed, uh, Keaton Mitchell from East Carolina. That that dude's like a legit four three running back. So I'm I'm sorry. There are guys. I just needed a. I needed. Some, it's okay. Slap myself in the face. <laughs> Forgive you. I just want to know your Deuce Vaughn take anyway. So I'm still I'm a tech group of I'm not going to be as, as hot as you are on a guy that just ran all over us for four years. No. <laughs> you know what? I, I got to shout out Texas. Uh, Deshaun Jameson and Keandre Coburn were two of my favorite interviews at the Shrine Bowl. Those dudes were fun to talk to. And I love the fact that I asked every dude out there, and we'll wrap up the show uh, with this story. I asked everybody out there that played in the Big 12, I asked the TCU guys, I asked Trey Todd, Tomlinson. And then asked uh, Coburn and Deshaun Jameson, ask a KU dude that was out there, what season would you rather have? The season that TCU had, where you get to go play in the national title, you don't technically win anything, or the season that K-State had, where you still get to go play the Sugar Bowl, you play Alabama, and you're Big 12 champs. You get a ring, you get a trophy. What season would you rather have? It was pretty split, but I believe both Texas guys said they would have rather had K-State season. Because they can call them yes, Big 12. For Texas, winning the Big 12 is is the goal, right? It's like, hey, if you win the Big yeah. 12, that's you got to do that first. Also, I would not want to get embarrassed on national television like TCU did. Sorry. Yeah. K-State didn't show out. They started hot <laughs> against Alabama. And Deuce had longest run against the Alabama defense in Nick Saban's tenure, yeah. which is not nothing. Uh, but yeah, right. I, I mean, I'm biased on this one, but I'd rather be able to call myself a champion. Uh, in that regard, there were a couple of guys that they sure. just like the experience of going and playing in the national title and being on that stage, regardless of the result, they get the experience and get to remember that for the rest of their lives. Tell their grandkids about like they played in the national title game, which is yeah. something. Yeah. And they can tell those stories while K-State, they can show the trophy ring runs. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, all right, we appreciate everybody for hanging out in this episode of the KCSN Draft Show. Make sure to check out the KC Laboratory. Those guys are going live tonight. We're two weeks out from the draft. Make sure to check out their draft guide. Uh, I believe it's just $15. You get three months to the KCSN Substack uh, as well if you sign up for that. And those guys have done a phenomenal job. So make sure to please. I got one. Work. I can't improve. Great. It's great. There you go. One every year. Chief specific draft guide. There's three draft guides. I always obviously read your stuff. Get the KCSN draft guide, PFF draft guide, and then obviously Dane Brugler's uh, Beast. Uh, Always make sure to check that out too. But Matt, man, we appreciate you for hanging out with us and make sure to check out Matt's work at ESPN as we get ready for the draft. And he'll be in Kansas City, just making a couple hour, two hour trip up north uh, from his hometown uh, to come up here and cover it. But we appreciate all of you. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network.